Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. But what made you so sure that this was the best place and this was the right decision for you? It's Arsenal, you know. Come on, it's Arsenal. Welcome back to... We've had the bomber. We've had the Ornstein bomber. And it slept. An Arsenal podcast with Alexander Maddie Benny, my very good friends. Bradley Adams. George V. So, uh, I do have a question to start the podcast off. Um... And this is really for the listeners, to be honest. It's a, it's a sort of, uh, what, would it, what would it be? Maybe like a, a survey. So please get your answers in, because early doors, I know you're all listening. Tweet me in. At what age do you think it's inappropriate for your mother to, to, to keep booking you dental appointments? At what age do you think it might be you're old enough to book your own dental appointments? And not to find out, let's say, on the day of a podcast recording. Um, that you can't do the second part of a podcast because your mum has booked you a dental appointment at the age of how old, Brad? 27. <laughs> 27. So listeners, let me know at what age you think, yeah, I think, Listen, we, I think someone should I'll, be able to handle their own I'll, dental I'll appointments. give some context. No, 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 no. I am not scared <laughs> of like anything in life, right? I, 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 there, there are, I will deal with, I will go, I will do anything. I will try anything. The dentist is the one thing I, I, I despise it. It's the drills, it's the sounds, it just puts me on edge. And uh, so I wouldn't go to the dentist <laughs> if it wasn't booked for me. Um, like it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a little tactic. Will your mum be there holding your hand? My mum has, genuinely, my mum has had to hold my hand before. And I've had to, I have to listen to music whilst they do the work. Because I get it, there's something about the sound, it just fucking, it just gets right in the head. I can't deal with it, mate. I feel bad for mocking you now. No, 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 it's all good. It's all good. To be fair, I am 27. I do, should probably book my own fucking dentist appointment. <laughs> no, no, on the other hand, my, my mom is a dentist. So you know what? A for uh, oral health there, oh. Brad. A for oral health. Yeah. Regular checkups. You yeah. got to get, get the regular checkups, eh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. There's we some, were just there's in the waiting room. very attractive girls up in Canada, George just said, eh? You know? Where are you from? You're from, like, Newfoundland. Yeah, you've got like a you've got like a, the a Newfoundland accent. accent. Is hilarious, hilarious. So George, when are me and Brad coming over? I reckon we should actually. We need to come I, visit I, I, Toronto. You, you joke. I'm down for this. I don't joke. Yeah, I no, hundred percent. When you guys Let's come, do it. it's gonna be a time. A big weekend in the six. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready for both 100%. of you. Hundred percent in the six, baby. More tune for your head top. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Very good. Welcome back to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. Before we jump into all the football stuff today, I just want to say a thank you. I don't say this right. I realised a lot of other podcasts, like they open and they're like, 
Thanks so much for listening. Da, 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 da. And I realise that I probably sound like a deeply ungrateful, and all of us, frankly, sound like deeply ungrateful pricks. So thank you for listening to the Different Opinions Podcast. And to completely contrast that, uh, you're welcome for creating this content. So join the members club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're now going to guilt trip you. <laughs> we're going to say all these nice things and then we're going to say patreon.com forward slash if not. Um, no, but some lovely opportunities have come this way, our way this week with the podcast, which hopefully we'll be announcing soon. And it's just reminded me that we, would, we, we wouldn't be anywhere without our fans. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. I hate that so much. You know, you know us. We're not, we're, we're not like that. We just appreciate you listening. Thank you. Yeah. And we appreciate your time and being part of the community and your involvement and your engagement and stuff is it's so great. It's genuinely my favourite thing to do personally. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. Anyway. Anyway. Back to taking the piss out of me for getting my dad yeah. to the point of book by my mum. George, you okay? I'm good, mate. Fresh I'm new trim? Good. A little bit. Fresh new trim. Still don't know. Nice. I'm undecided if I like it or not. You know when you get like a haircut? I don't know if you boys have this, but for the next week or so, I hate it. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Like, it's got to grow in. It's got to grow yeah. in. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm in that phase right now. It's fresh. The best fresh. bit of the haircut when they show you the back of your head, and the first thing is, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> every that's time Just, without. Yeah, doubt. cool, thanks. Wait, you say, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I, yeah, I that's fine. Do you sure. change it? No, I'm like, oh, thank you, thanks. So that's <laughs> honestly, yeah, that, I'm like, yeah, that's never, great, cool, thanks. I've never seen a haircut that good. That's the back of my head. What am I? Thank you, you for just, showing me it. <laughs> No, you just give them like a little... The hair's already gone. little confidence boost. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm afraid no, if but... they mess up the next time, you have to keep the confidence high, you know? And I think even if they messed up, I yeah. never tell them. I just don't is your barber? Yeah. yeah, is your barber like Lacazette? You gotta, he's a, he's a, he's a he confidence-based is... player. I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> your barber's a confidence-based player. <laughs> he's on a decent run of form. <laughs> Purple patch of haircuts recently, so oh. expected, expected skin fades. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Right, we're five and a half minutes in and we've not said a word about football. Welcome back to the Different Dog and Arsenal podcast. How are you? Hope you're doing well. Let's talk Arsenal Football Club, I thought we'd do today. Um, so, I suppose the, not the first thing to come to, but something that I think is a, an interesting jumping off point is the news about Granite Xhaka. Granite Xhaka supposedly is on the verge He's on the verge. He's close. How many of those Fabrizio words can we get in? He's he's in the final stages. He's uh, closing in on. There is a deep interest. There. What are the what are the other ones? He's got loads of them. What, the repertoire. Brad. Deal almost agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of those between Arsenal and Bayer Leverkusen for a very good fee. I was very shocked and very surprised. Uh, George, I'll we'll come to you first. Yeah. Um. I've I've long said that. Uh, I've long said um, but um, basically I, I, I've i been disappointed by Edu's selling it has to be said and I've been disappointed about how it's happened but I've always appreciated that there is a context and that there's two things firstly if you're selling trying to sell a player who was in a team that came eighth last season and wasn't used it's very hard to do that uh, you, you have to be selling from a position of strength to get some some decent fees, especially when those players aren't necessarily homegrown, are, are kind of in the twilight of their careers, et cetera, et cetera. I'm thinking of the likes of Kalasanach and Mustafi and all these t- types of guys. And then secondarily, people say, well, we just got to get better fees. And I go, okay, yeah, but there is two parties How? in these uh, negotiations. <laughs> and one of them is, is Sevilla or whoever it is, or Monza, 
who like have yeah. a record record fee of like you know ten million pounds or something. So, how did you react to that that news coming out? What's your thoughts on it? And for me, it's really encouraging because that is a for a player with one year left on their deal at thirty years of age. That's a that's a good deal for me. It's a great deal, and I think if you look at just some basic research, you know, you go into some of the transfers. You know, uh, I think from a Leverkusen perspective, that's the third highest fee in their club history. Um, and when you get it for a thirty-year-old with one year left, um, you've already cut kind of your um, your your knees off. You know, really, I, I don't think you've got much negotiating power, no matter how phenomenal you might believe the player is. And I think you've cut your even- knees off. <laughs> you guys don't have that. What does that mean? Cut yourself yeah, off of the knees. That there we go. The Brad's got that. The Brad's got the phrase. There we go. And, okay. uh, and, Sorry, I'll let you carry on. And so, <laughs> no, and, and I think like when I was looking at the Bundesliga as well, because like you know I'm a I'm a nerd like that. I, I I think I was looking not just in terms of the highest fees in the Bundesliga, but just in general, what are the highest midfielder fees for over thirty at roughly the twenty five million euro uh mark and I, I think you're only basically looking at Casemiro, Matuidi, uh Pianic, Polino, and Nanglet. And those are the only confirmed fees that have exceeded um you know Grant Chaka's fee at his age. So uh, I mean generally speaking, um you know it, it is it's a great fee from Arsenal's perspective. It's a great fee from Leverkusen's perspective. Um you know I think they're getting a player that right now was probably one of the best midfielders in the world at what he does you know and and he's adaptable he has they're getting a player that's been educated by Mikel and molded to be something different they're not getting the same one that left the Bundesliga and you know it's not just in terms of experience it's in terms of his ability to become a different profile like guys we don't say it enough and you know I had a post I was a little bit emotional I'm gonna hold my hand up like I love Granit Xhaka and I think perennially underrated perennially underappreciated and marred by a very difficult time, which I appreciate from both perspectives because what he did was unacceptable. But then at the same token, even before that, was never appreciated for the role that he did in the team and quite frankly, never played to the right role himself. And, you know, he finally got a coach much later in his career that he couldn't really maximize it, that understood him exactly. And, you know, I think the frustrating part is in early days, you know, Arsene Wenger described the exact role Mikel created for him, but we never saw it under Arsene Wenger. So, I, look, there's been a wa- lot of water under the bridge, but from a specific edu point, because I'm with you, by the way, I have been somebody that's been quite critical of the sales. I have, I've understood it. Like, let's let's make no mistake about it. Critiquing edu during COVID and during the COVID market seemed in the short term valid, but broadly speaking, with a little bit of bird's eye perspective, a little bit ridiculous. I mean, that's kind of a once in a lifetime situation. Um, but it, it just factually, um, you know, makes an impact when you're competing for eighth versus competing for the title in terms of what fee you can get for your players. Like that knock-on effect of being good, quote, air quote, tax, will add 20%, 20% to whatever fee you do. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm well happy with it. I think it was a great fee. Um, and, and like I said, it's it's quite high. I think the, the Wenger thing is interesting, George, and I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, he was. It was identified very early what Xhaka was good at, and I wonder whether there was a case of Wenger always needed that the signings around him, which maybe he never got or whatever. Because we're seeing that the level of investment we're seeing as well from the Cronkies can't go. 
I think Xhaka is one of those players who, similar to your barber, requires uh, confidence. No, requires... Uh, I'm joking. I think Xhaka is one of the least confidence-based players, actually, uh, in terms of consistency. But what I think he does need is players around him who can facilitate him to play his best game. I think he's really affected by those around him. I think almost like he's... Uh, I think I've said before, like he's like the temperature gauge of a team. If your team is playing well, Xhaka will play well around you. But if your team's playing poorly, Xhaka will lose his head and play terribly. And I think that's sort of what we've seen. And I wonder whether I wonder whether Wenger would have used him in a different way, had had things worked out differently, had he had more investment, whatever. Brad, uh, thoughts on the deal, obviously, as a starting point. But also, something George also mentioned, which I think is, is worth saying, and something I've mentioned before on a few podcasts, and I think we'll continue to see. He's going to join Xabi Alonso, if I'm not mistaken. And I wonder if we'll start to see more players in that mould, so of a Gundogan, of a, which I, by the way, I don't think is a coincidence he's going to work under Xavi. Um, I wonder whether we'll see more of these types of guys who are clearly uh, coaches in the making, who are clearly players who understand the game to a certain level, going off and working with, working with managers who can sort of smooth that uh, sort of transition into coaching. And I think Ajabi Alonso um, might be able to do that for Granit Xhaka and might be someone to, really good to work under. I think it's an option to explore for players because we think of players as they move into their sort of twilight of their careers. We think, well, you know, can they go get one last big contract in Saudi? Can they, whatever. But I think a lot of players now, I wonder, and I'm, you know, I, I think we'll increasingly see it, might start thinking, well, hang on a minute. Who are the preeminent coaches at the moment? Who are um, who are the who are the coaches who I can go and learn under? Who can create a pathway into coaching the young players at Bayer Leverkusen or whatever that is, and make that pathway smooth? And then looking at the fee, going well, actually they want me, and they're going to be prepared to pay a little bit more at that time of my life because of the influence around the club. You see what I mean? In the sense that Xhaka yeah. might be a benefit to Bayer Leverkusen, not just on the field in terms of his contributions there, but in two, three years' time, coaching the academy, coaching the players. If they believe this is a good football brain who can get used to Bayer Leverkusen and the, and the club uh, sort of culture, they might be willing to go, actually, yeah, let's spend an extra couple of million. And it works for both sides. I feel we're going to see a little bit more of that moving forward. No, no, no. I, I agree. I think that there is... good is definitely opportunity for that. In terms of the actual deal, it's, it's a great fee. It's a shame to lose Xhaka, but um, when you look at the, the price being muted, it's, you kind of compare it to the Kovacic deal, who's a year younger, and they got kind of a, a, like maybe six or seven or eight million more than we did, uh, and that was to a Premier League rival with Premier League money. I think we also have to understand that COVID has severely impacted all of these markets. And um, there's a reason that there's, you know, you've got teams like Juventus battling it out with middling Premier League sides for signings now. And it's because of the financial weight and impact that we, that the that English football currently carries, which is gargantuan in comparison to a lot of Europe. So there's a lot of circumstance around Edu's selling that I think needs to be taken into account, like COVID, like the fact that when you're an eighth place team, it's really difficult to sell your third choice right back. Um, when no one else has money, how do you? If no one has money to pay for anything, how are you, you know, expected to to ship these kinds of players out? And do you know any of the fans who were critical critical of Edu at the time? Would you? Me? Would you know? Me, hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But with you, you can always get better in, better in life in it. You know, I think and I think that there were certain there were certain deals that that maybe he could have been better on I'm not saying that he's been perfect by changing my stance on his selling ability but I I think this is probably the first time we'll be able to to see him sell from a place of strength I think 
it's very different to look at what Chelsea are doing, you know, basically, you know, having their own investors kind of pull them out of a dark situation here. But in terms of kind of, there are, there are two different types of players, aren't there? There are the players that will go to Saudi for their last big contract and that will set their families up for generations and for the kind of almost the rest of their lineage if they're, if they're smart enough with their money. Um, but those types of players don't see a future in the game. I'm not surprised at the types of players that are moving out there. I don't see N'Golo Kante becoming a manager. I don't see Hakim Ziyech becoming a manager. I don't see who else has gone out there recently. You know, thinking about all of these uh, players. Mindy, Neves uh, is probably the only one that Neves. you could say that's strange because he's a little but, bit young. But yeah, even then. But again, it's like, um, Brad, I'll let you finish your point, but I just, I think we we tran- we sort of project our own thing of like, well, I would want to be in top level competition, but these guys, like, it, it sorts their families out forever. Like, and that might be their priority. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. And the guy's, you know, he's 26. I think he signed a three-year deal with them. So he'd be 29 when that's up and could easily still come back to top flight football. That's that's still kind of a um, an option and an opportunity. But um, I'm not surprised he's gone to Leverkusen. And like you say, it's a, it's a good opportunity to work under an up-and-coming manager and probably get more into the coaching side of things. Um as we've seen, you know, he spent some time doing his coaching badges at Arsenal and kind of working with the under-23s and such. Um, but yeah, in terms of him, it's it's a shame to lose such a, a kind of a, a good servant in that midfield. But like we've always said, we need to be ruthless when upgrading and moving forward this summer. And this is just part of it. Granite Xhaka has kind of a place in the second eleven. But is he willing to accept that? Probably not. Is it value for money to get 25 million euros for a player who's 31 with a year left on his deal, turning 32 soon? Yeah, it's great value for money. You know, we were talking about 12 million euros, like, not that long ago. We've doubled that. So I don't think we can besmirch this deal in any way other than it's it's an emotional factor and a shame to see to see him leave, really. Yep. Yeah, I think we we approach these things from a perspective of like what we would do a lot of the time. Or certainly I do. I sort of think, well, what what would I do in that situation? And actually, Mate, I think I'd be straight certain... to fucking Saudi. Yeah. Are you silly? Yeah. I'd be straight to Saudi. The money that they're offering, God Almighty. Yeah, yeah. but um, but I think like for, like for example, actually, Mikel Arteta is quite a good example. It was very clear that it can and pair to a certain degree as well. It was very clear, and there was a sort of year or so where they were both like in and out of the team, and then they went. That's it then. Like, you know, Mikel probably could have gone and played for another two, three years, maybe. You know, what, what was he when he retired? 34, 33, 35? No, no. Yeah, but he wasn't like 38, do you know what I mean? He wasn't, no. you know, he, he was well into his coaching career by that point. And these guys, you know, I think when you when you have that sort of um, competitive feeling, edge. I guess, competitive edge, yeah. And, and, the, and I suppose in a way, the desire to be, to, we talk about leadership, what is it, you know, leaders, you know, Maguire, not a leader. What does that mean? Really, that Roy Keane means is it's shouting. But I think there's some people who actually, they're inherently leaders. They're inherently people who want to take charge of situations from a from a bloody barbecue to a football club. That You know these people, they want to take charge of the situation for whatever reason. And that's, you know, that's their, their work to do in, uh, in their own personal lives. But, you know, as long as it's coming from a healthy place. So I think someone like a Granite Xhaka probably thinks, well, if I'm not going to be 
one of the guys, I'm going to leave. And I think that's that's uh, something that is can, can be admired and, and something where you need a blend of, of characters in a club. Moving forward then to his, uh, I don't want to say replacement, but you know certainly to some degree to replace what, what Xhaka, uh, Xhaka brings. We are waiting for the Ornstein bomber <laughs> on Declan Rice. We are waiting for the here we go from Fabrizio Romano. George, I heard a point on uh, another podcast this week, which I think is brilliant, by Clive uh, Palmer, who is my idol, basically. Mm. Um, And he made this point, and I thought it's so brilliant, I want to expand on it. Essentially, what he said was, it was a very fleeting thing, but I really think think he's hit something nail on the head. He said, think back to the game against uh, Liverpool. Had we had a Declan Rice, at Anfield, sorry, had we had a Declan Rice, would that game have played out from that moment where Xhaka and Trent had that sort of moment, the crowd get up and the momentum felt like it? That to me, that game felt like a real momentum game. As much as we can talk about tactics and systems, whatever, there was a moment where the crowd went, here we go. And that pushed everyone a bit forward. That raised everyone's game by two, three percent, right? I think when we look across the season, there's a lot of those moments there's a lot of like moments where, like for example, Southampton, that first 20 minutes against Southampton, there was a sort of period. It's not like we were on top and there was, um, you know, sort of just moments where they got back. I felt as though we were really under the cosh from Southampton in certain periods. There was a sort of wave after wave after wave and they and they, and they they managed to do it. And then, you know, each game is going to be different to, to certain degrees. But I think there were certain periods of games last season. I think of the Man City game. I think of the Leeds game at Ellen Road early on in the season where there was, most of the time, Arsenal... Someone knock on my door. Sorry. Um, most of the time, I... There's no door there, so <laughs> weird. Um, most of the time, I would say we had a sort of uh, domination to some degree, so certain control of the game, but the, but the high value, the high volume or the high leverage moments in the season often came with periods where we needed someone to step in and stop that flow. And I think Declan Rice is the perfect player for that. Not only with his ball winning capacity, not only with the fact that he's so good at controlling transition and his, his intelligence and anticipation, but not to sound like Roy Keane, his character. His character to, to get to go, no, hang on a minute, guys. Let me control this game. Let me get you forward. Let me, however that is, by, by stopping the flow of play, by ball carrying, by whatever it is. I believe part of the reason we're signing Declan Rice is to is to come into those games and stop the flow and stop the flow of the opposition getting forward. I think that's one of the, the big things that Mikel might have looked at this summer and gone, how do we stop those moments going in the opposition's favour? And that's part of the reason that, that Rice has been signed. But yeah, your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I echo those thoughts because on a, not to sound like I'm cheating, but on another podcast when I looked at breaking down Declan Rice, you know, that exact kind of <gasps> emotion... <laughs> you know that emotional discharge moment let's say on like another game is something i made the first point he on. says cheating and now he says discharge god <laughs> well you know, you know what it is it's that it's that kind of chaos moment right it's that chaos moment in games and you know i, I made that point you know i think declan rice is this guy he not only someone that likes to put out fires but he's also somebody that understands what the game needs from him in the moment and I think that's something that that in-game intelligence is phenomenal from him. He does it on a minute level when you talk about his interceptions. 
He does it on a uh, broad skill moment. And it's something that I think Arsenal have struggled with game management wise for quite a while. Um, you know, I think one thing that we improved last season was once, you know, we conceded a goal, we really responded quite well, quite quickly. Um, you know, the season before we struggled with that. Now, I, I do think that there are times, for example, at the beginning and ends of halves, even as a coach, I used to tell my team, I do not want to see anybody gain territory in the first five to 10 minutes of each half. I believe that those are the most chaotic. Those are the most, um, you know, high potential um, structure breakers in any kind of game. I think every game has its ebbs and flows. And of course, there are times throughout the middle of a half that you may surrender territory. But for me, the beginning and ends of a half are typically the times where you throw the kitchen sink. And, you know, you have your Bournemouth moments that would like to score within the first 30 seconds of matches or whatnot and catch teams off guard. And by the way, it became a tactic for them. Or you've got, you know, the Shaka moments, which is when the crowd comes up, the Anfield effect of basically turning the crowd on. And you've got a player right now in your team that is the best transition control player in the world. It's a superpower. And so when you go to the chaos, it's kind of nice to have somebody that you can guarantee tempo with. And tempo, by the way, doesn't have to be in possession. This is something that I always like to highlight because having somebody that can control transitions with a really nice high-flying tackle, match somebody stride for stride, that's exerting control. You can exert control off the ball in just as, uh, as many ways as you can on the ball. And I think that Declan Rice is that kind of police officer guiding you where you need to go in a traffic jam. And I really love the fact that we've got somebody that will be a very consistent player. I think one of the biggest things that I've um, that I've felt for a long time is that just game management wise, we don't play differently, if that makes sense. Like, <clears throat> I find that we're quite vertical. I don't find that we've got somebody that's going to put their foot on the ball to recycle um, to, to a great effect. And so I, I think we've talked about this in previous graphs before when we looked at kind of the passing sequences of the team. And basically, just if anybody has not heard that before, we kind of carry the same passing sequence frequency, no matter if we're losing, drawing or winning. Whereas City very clearly extend that passing sequence as they're winning to kind of kill off games in a more tempo controlled way. And, and I think Arteta will always be more vertical. But one thing that allows us to be this vertical, if you're going to do that and be more vertical, you're going to be more susceptible to transitions. You're going to leave yourself more open. So therefore, you need a guy that can thrive in those spaces, right? Like we can't recruit people that are okay in, in large distances. We need them excellent there. And, you know, Declan Rice, he's going to be that emotional trigger, that, that, that person in the team that is able to kind of be what the game demands him to be. And, you know, I, I think it's brilliant. And, and we've got somebody there that has um, got a superpower that a lot of clubs will be looking towards. And by the way, I feel instead of Anfield affecting us, Declan Rice will affect Anfield. What do I mean by that? I think he's the type of person to throw in a crunching tackle at the beginning of a game and silence the crowd. And, and we're going to be, we're going to have a player to give back, let's say a little bit. Sometimes environment swallows us. We're going to have a player that will swallow the environment. And, and I love that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you speak a lot of sense as always. Um, I think uh, there's a, there's an element to Rice's game, which you're right, is that is the, is the kind of putting out fires. But the thing you, you pointed out, which I think is, is bang on, is his, his understanding of knowing what the game needs 
is is something that I think we need to add to our to our football really and to our and to, to to the way we play the understanding of like this game needs someone to put their foot on it this game needs someone to carry the ball this game needs someone to just you know speak to everyone around them and calm them down whatever whatever you believe the game needs I think he has that kind of intuitive uh, capacity and and I'm looking back and thinking back over just more and more of the games that we were. We struggled in last season where the margins were too fine for me and, and, and concerningly fine. I'm looking at like, you know, the the, the Southampton game there or um, thinking about, uh, like I said, the Villa game at periods away at Villa Park. I just felt there was a sort of almost a, a, a period or a wave where we couldn't quite control the game. And I think Rice coming in is going to be able to really facilitate us, us controlling it. And Brad, on that, like, what are you, it's a bit of a broad question, but what are you most excited for? with Rice because there's so much to his game and there's so much that he could bring. Of course, there's the leadership qualities. There's the, there's the, um, the, as George has said, his kind of superpower of, of, of transition control. There's um, the possibility that he's the, the potential of it, of more of an attacking side to his game developing in that sort of channel between the center back and the fullback. I wonder whether there's some space for him there in the Xhaka role. What are you most excited for? If indeed we ever find an agreement on payment terms with West Ham United. Um, it's it's a long time since Arsenal have had um, the intimidation from a player like that. As good as, you know, Thomas Partey has been at the base of our midfield, I don't think people look at him as intimidating, even though he's very good in the challenge uh, and such. And it, it very much feeds into what George says. Declan Rice is not a name you want to see on the opposition team sheet. And having that gives you an incremental advantage in the same way that it's the same with Bakayo Saka and, and Gabriel Martinelli. You know, when opposition fans and when the opposition are looking at that team sheet, those are the names they want to see on the bench with a, with a slight, you know, n- niggle or a slight twinge. It, it, it's so soft factory, but can have such a such a big effect. And uh, listen, I think we've we've done it to a death. His his on ball, off ball, actual footballing qualities, but from a pure kind of theoretical and kind of that standpoint, it's a, it's a it's a long time since Arsenal have gone to a club and taken a player that the club didn't want to sell, uh, and that player could start for any team in the league. And that player is a player that you don't want to play against. And that puts doubt in the mind of, you know, attackers when they're when they're striding through. It's it's the whole Van Dyke effect thing. The Van Dyke is a good player, but the reason that he went something like 18 months or whatever it was, which is ridiculous without getting dribble past, is an aura thing. It's because people stopped trying because they thought they weren't going to succeed. So what was the point? And you'll get the same with Declan Rice at the base of your midfield people will stop trying to do certain things because they will just automatically think they are not going to succeed. And if you're already in an opposition's head like that, like against a Southampton or a Leeds or such, it gives you that incremental advantage so that you can then take control of a game because the opposition are already uneasy and unnerved purely by the name on the back of the shirt. Um, And I think it's also one thing that's massively underrated about this deal. It's a massive, massive commercial opportunity and success um he's probably going to be the next captain of england post harry kane um you know 
it sounds silly to talk about it in these terms, but the shirt sale numbers will go up because of him. People will be desperate. It's the kind of it's the kind of player that that will take a young child into supporting Arsenal because of that player. And we look over these things when we talk about the game because it's it's kind of you know accountants FC vibes, but it's massive for the commercial success. Think like think of the marketability and the and the marketing that you can do on it. Like he's on he's the fucking new face of like Muller Rice. And that sounds so stupid, but having that cultural icon at your club gives you so many opportunities to make more money, to expand your fan base and to keep yourself progressing further forward. I think if you when you take into consideration all of those things, it's 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 such an exciting time. Yeah, and I think just on on that thing, you know. That what it is, it's the, it's the potential for him to be that. If he is, let's say Harry Kane, I don't know, goes to Germany, has a poor season and, and it looks a little bit dodgy in and out of the England side or whatever it is. Within two or three years, we could be looking at who's the New England captain. And that could very well be Declan Rice if he's continued his development, if he's at the base of Arsenal's midfield, if Arsenal are challenging at the top of the league because, you know, I can't, you know, maybe it's John Stones, but probably not, not from that same sort of character perspective. So... I, I think that's fully right. And then it's like, okay, well, you have the England captain at the base of your midfield. What does that mean? And yeah, how does, what does that say about your club? And, and and what does that say about the era that you're in? I think it, and also like, you said it was soft factory about the, the idea of like <clears throat> teams setting up in a different way against you. I think it's deeply important. Like, I think it's so important. The idea that actually, oh, we're not going to try central progression in this game because there's no point. <laughs> like there is no point to trying to, to, to progress the ball centrally in this game. So let's use the wide areas, at which point Arteta goes, okay, right, they're not going to be able to do that, in which case we can change our setup on the right-hand side or whatever, or timber or play with more attacking fullbacks, whatever he wants to do. So I think, yeah, it's it's obviously it's a, it's a good signing, but I think the thing that happens is we obviously naturally get focused on what he will do on the pitch in his own position. It's also the impact, the sort of the, the, the ripple effect that he'll have uh, both on and off the pitch as well. And like, you know, not to... I'm coming up with a lot of Roy Keane punditry uh, today, but it's on my mind. The Invincibles, you know, as much as it's over, it's overdone, it's also true because it's literally been said by them that they knew they'd won the game in the tunnel because they were just massive <laughs> and good. So so they were just like, look, we... like we, we there, There's people who said, I was stood in the tunnel at Highbury, I looked to my right or my left... And I thought, fuck, we're going to lose because they're just, I, I'm looking at their aura. And you can choose to discount that all you want, but I think that is a huge part of it. But, but you and know also, what? And, Mate, and, like, I think, I don't think that's something that should be under undersold. And I don't think it's just Roy Keane punditry, by the way, because have a look at the team in general that we've thanks, built. Mate. Yeah, no, no, no. But like, you know, have, have a look at how many players do we have in our squad that are over six foot? Just a quick, we're a, a big quick, team now. A quick yep. straw poll, you know, and, and from a team that has historically, by the way, been a small team in the last couple decades and lost their races like at its core what has been arsenal's loose fabric since since the end of arson wenger up until you know the the beginning of Mikel arteta's reign and what has been the difference and yes we can you know insert duels bingo you know that could be the issue but it's not just that it's the fact that i believe that we had switched to a more diminutive style we had switched to a midfielder profile that was quite different sesk changed arson wenger in terms of what he he viewed as necessary. And I think Mikel's going back to old school Arsenal in this sense. And we are a big team between Kai Havertz, Gabrielle, Sabliba, Declan Rice. Guys, Emil Smith-Rowe. Smith-Rowe is Smith fucking Rowe massive. Smith-Rowe is easily 6'1". 
at this point. You know, I know Tavar is a six foot and he looks to be towering over him, you know, the England U21s. And, you know, I'm sure Tomiyasu, like when you start Kiwior, like you go down the list, we are quite tall and we're quite imposing. And guys, you just have to look as far back as Everton. Everton, I love the fact that we can dish an Everton type game and give it back now. And I think that's the big thing, right? Like, you know, when you've got a team that's moldable, that's able to do maybe the small, cute technical ability and can and is, is flexible to that style, but then can also punch your lights out. Like, I like that. I like that flexibility because I can't change the ladder, by the way. I always feel as though if the, if the game needs a little bit more possession or temperature, that's where a coach's job comes in, guys. Like, that's the entire way or reason why we've got such good structure and why we've been built to have these patterns. Mikel has built that up. Sure, it may take some time, but that's coachable. What I can't coach is Declan Rice sprinting from his 18-yard box to the opposition 18-yard box and finishing in the bottom corner. I can't coach that. That is not something that Pep will be like, oh, I will stop this. I will have a tactic to stop Declan Rice doing those things. No, no, no. You're not stopping that. So it's brilliant play, but it's a level of um, physical intensity. That is just brilliant. You look at the Champions League final that Chelsea beat City in and you look at them in the tunnel. You look at both teams in the tunnel and the biggest difference is Chelsea are stood there ready to go out and City are, you know, all over the place talking to each other. Some of them are sorting the boots out, blah, blah, blah. It's a different type of mentality that that is brought into the club. Um, And Declan Rice is is a big, big champion of that. You know, I remember clips of him coming off and I, I I didn't like it, but him accusing the ref of being fucking paid from from a shocking performance, be like, "What are you doing?" And you think, uh, "Fair enough to have the balls to risk the fine to do that." There's a different way to channel that energy, but at least we know the energy's there. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think also this is a trend we're seeing in football, right? Like you look back at like the the city centurions. The main guys in that team are like Aguero and David Silva, and I think Bernardo Silva might be there, or like Raheem Sterling, like, or Raheem Sterling who outjumps uh, Rob Holding. But you know, guys who, as much as they're great players in a certain way, Very are small. also, you know, they're not they're not the most physically imposing guys. Now you look at it and you go, ah, Rodri, what was he like six four or something? <laughs> like, um, you know, even De Bruyne, even the guys who have the technical level, Haaland you know, can, can be argued. These guys are absolute giants who can also play the game. And that's what Declan Rice is, which is, which is uh, super exciting. Before we move on to the second part of the show and Brad goes to the dentist. Um, what are you expecting? Two, a two part question. And I'll go to you, Brad, first. What are you expecting from the next few weeks? Are you expecting, because personally, I, my opinion was we, we'd go quite big early on and then we'd see a lull. So I imagine we'll see some confirmations, hopefully, and then probably won't hear anything for a little while, and maybe even not even on the outgoings. We might hear rumours, but I think probably until we're into August, I, I imagine we'll we'll start seeing some outgoings. Um, especially if we've seen that with Xhaka, for example, if we've waited, you know, we've waited until we got to a position of strength, and then we've gone, well, you know, we can almost double the price. So, you know, why, why wouldn't we keep doing that? Um, so I think, yeah, firstly, what are you expecting? And secondly, looking around the league, looking at the signings that are being made, um, not loads of high-profile stuff. Obviously, Kovacic to City, Mount to United, uh, uh, Shabosh to, um to to Liverpool and McAllister, etc. What are you? What are your thoughts on that as well? Are you? 
seeing anyone doing particularly good business? Is there anything concerning you? Uh, yeah, two um, questions. Go. In terms of our window, I think you know we've 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 said this before. It was it it was always going to be big signings up front, and then it's going to go very very. Cool. I I would be surprised if we sign another player post timber, um, unless it's all going to be contingent on outgoings. It depends who we get out and how many we get out. There's there's currently probably about thirteen players that are in some way, shape, or form not going to be with the squad next season. That's a lot of business to do, and when you consider that, okay, maybe we need a forward. Uh, that's something that could be picked up very last minute in the market, especially when you're looking at the squad role they're going to be given. So I'd brace yourself for quite a, a boring summer after quite an exciting start. I think we'll get these three deals done. Hopefully we'll have confirmation by this time next week, if not two weeks. And then it will just kind of be, we'll quietly see just the Arsenal admin posting, you know, this person's gone to this place and this person's gone to this place and this person's gone to this place. But, um, in terms of business around, I've, I've got every every deal in front of me and I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know, the McAllister deal to Liverpool, yeah, it's, it's a good piece of business. It's not being reported at the right fee because there's a hell of a lot of achievable add-ons in there. But I mean, he's a good player. Do I think he's worth the kind of 60 that they paid for him when all the add-ons are achieved and given? Probably not, but... It's still a good option to have. Sobersly as well. It's somebody we were looking at a couple of years ago. Um, I don't. I know he's he's had something like fourteen goals and assists in the last two Bundesliga seasons. I'm sure Klopp will get something out of him. But looking at the business around, I'm not. I'm not seeing anything that's that's jumping out to me and going, "Oh my God, this team is is coming for us." I think that if you look at who is most likely to be that third challenger it is Liverpool rather than you know I mean Spurs have spent a ridiculous amount of money to stay the same level and then had to you know buy James Madison um I I look at that Liverpool team and I go okay well they're gonna have to completely restructure their side what how are that that's gonna take time you know they're gonna be basically training in a midfield of of McAllister and um, and Sabozlai and probably trying to move to inverting Trent. But, you know, then you look at their left-hand side and you go, well, is Robertson going to be the person that sits in a three? Because he is in no way a centre-back. So I think that there are still some problems at Liverpool that I, I, I would hope or, you know, if I was a Liverpool fan, would hope to see addressed come the end of the window, their centre-backs. Virgil van Dijk is not the same player anymore. Canate is good, but without that kind of top-level centre-back next to him, is he as good as we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see him to be? I'm unsure. Um, I'm not really worried by anything at the moment. I think that with the business that we've done, it's very much, if we even if we just perform to the same level, solidified ourselves as second in the Premier League. I don't see anyone really challenging that um but you know i mean spurs they've done some half decent business i think you know james madison is a good player um but other than that you know and they've they've just brought in solomon haven't they on a free which is good depth I believe so yeah but you know they're they're looking at the, the possibility of losing harry kane and harry kane is the only thing right now keeping them possibly in contention for top 4 
So I think Postacoglu's got a massive job on his hands. I'm not yeah, particularly I, I, I'd agree with you. I think I, I like... I like some of the business from from Spurs. I like some of the business from from Liverpool. I, I I I'm confused by some of what you, what United are doing, but it's United. But George, like, there's nothing I there's nothing that I'm looking at. You know, even Chelsea with Nicholas Jackson, like that's not the profile of striker, especially at the age he is, that for me that they needed. So so I'm not looking around going ah, they're you know City will be City. They're they're just sustaining. You know, they, all they need is just to just keep the level really they don't need to do anything particularly and you know bringing Guardiola and, and, and Kovacic will be will be just what they need if they, as they lose Laporte and Gundogan so th- that's obviously there but in terms of our quote-unquote competition are you worried about any of Spurs are you worried about United are you worried about Liverpool personally I don't see anything that I'm going ooh no um, not at all I think every team I was going to make the point is actually going to be going through transitions um, you know and I and I think City are going through a, a bigger transition than I think people give it credit for. But by the way, losing Goodnigan, potentially Bernardo Silva, and what that impact could have on the midfield is a fairly big change for a team that doesn't have a lot of players, right? And, and you know, when you start to look at it, these aren't small players that have left; they're pillars of their team. You know, um, and, and I think while I actually think that Kovacic will do very well, I think people don't see how Pep wants to use him, and I actually think he'll be. Um, one of those surprise signings that will, you know, uh, a lot of people chastise at the beginning and then say, oh, that's why he wanted him um, kind of vibe. But I, I think beyond talking about the really... Which, sorry, I'm so sorry to cut you off, George, but which, which, by the way, really makes me laugh every single time because what happens every single pep, like out of the blue, oh, that's a bit of a weird sign. It happens yeah. every time. And then they go, oh, what? That doesn't make any sense. And then he proves why he wants them. And everyone goes, Pep's a genius. And then he does it again. And everyone goes, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Learn. Please learn. <laughs> just just sometimes the best reaction is just to sit and observe, I believe is the Twitter meme. <laughs> Not um, everything needs a reaction. Yeah, but, um, but no, in terms of like uh, rivals, again, not not to go on like a rapid fire, Chelsea have just cleared the books and done nothing of note from an incoming perspective. You know, Spurs have done something to add one of their biggest gaps in a James Madison, but have not supplemented the squad with any kind of marquee in a build-up sense. They still struggle with a major build-up issues, which they still have not have yet to address. Their defense look- is also horrendous. Yep. Their defense is horrific, which they still have yet to to address. And then you know you've got Manchester United playing a weird game of I want you know uh, Kim and Jay, and then I'm going to settle for Desassi. And um, you know that that kind of gap of the financial power. Um, you know I, a lot of people are still relying on the We Are Manchester United, quite frankly, um, Monica. This is Manchester United. Uh, <laughs> You know, this is Manchester United. Yep, and and I'm not seeing progress. This is Manchester United. Sorry. You know, I, look, Ma- Mason Mount. <laughs> Manchester United need a striker. This is Manchester United. This is Manchester United. <laughs> you know, look, Mason Mount's a good player, but again, how do you fix their build-up patterns? Once again, one of their biggest issues last season, and you're telling me that a Mason Mount, Casemiro, and a Bruno Fernandez midfield is going to succeed in oh, build-up? It's, it's horrendous. It's uh, and the defensive line. Yeah, like, I'm struggling. And then, look, I hate criticizing, but Newcastle, I think, made a mistake this window, which I'm surprised at. Tony Bloom doesn't make mistakes. Sandro Tonali, uh, for the for the fee that they got when they've already got Bruno Gimaraes, um in the team, and they desperately needed an anchor. Um, so, And then you finally go to Liverpool, by the way, which have got some exciting names, but how do you fit Thiago, McAllister, Shubhajlai, um Fabinho, who is aging, when they haven't got an anchor to anchor these eights. That's the thing. 
if you're gonna play Sobersly and McAllister, you need a good six. And yes. they just their their six like is he's got his ankles strapped up with like carbon fiber because there's no fucking musculature left. But to kind of like put this rant and tie it with a bow, if you were to actually look at the midfields of everybody's team, Arsenal's team is the only one that doesn't have a significant gap by the way. And look, we don't know what's going to happen with Thomas Partey down later in the window, but as of currently, we've got Declan Rice coming in and a trio of Declan Rice, Thomas Partey, Martin Odegaard, forgetting the Kai Havertz of it all, supplementary or not. I'd put that midfield against anybody in the league, including Manchester City, including the uncertainty right now. So what, Kovacic, Rodri, and and Kevin De Bruyne, slash Bernardo Silva, who may leave right now. So, I think that's the only midfield that could potentially even look at ours. But even then, I'm taking our midfield over theirs. And for me, the midfield is the engine room of the team. And we are the only team, in my opinion, that has got that those level razors in the right areas. Arsenal needed a proper anchor to control transitions. We got the best on the market. You know, Spurs needed creative presence. They got a very good player, not the best on the market. You know, you look at Liverpool, they needed an anchor desperately. No, they said, you know what, we'll get an all-phase midfielder who's good, but is not best on the market. You look at um, United, they needed somebody that was, again, not just a, a presence and build-up, but somebody that could actually help them progress through the thirds. They got somebody that could progress through the final third. Again, not best in the market. Newcastle, same thing. And that's the difference for me. So when you ask me if I'm worried, it's not just from an arrogant perspective. I just think that Arsenal have taken a different approach. And guys, we haven't even talked about Timber of it all. Like Timber is not some side signing. I think that Urian Timber is going we'll, to be a we'll phenomenal. Come, we'll come to that in the second part. Yeah, but but in general, like the transfer strategy, let me put it this way, on Arsenal's to get the best in the business in their position for that role. And I don't see other teams necessarily doing that with that efficiency in the same way that Arsenal are doing it. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm very happy with the business. I'm not worried about rivals. And I do agree with you that I think the general transfer strategy will lull after. But guys, we spent 200 million pounds. Like, I, I struggle to say, like, you know, keep going when you've spent 100 yeah. million pounds already. Well, George, good news equals tier one. So if you're not worried, <laughs> I'm not worried. Um, We'll see you in the second part of the show. We'll do Arsenal trivia at the beginning because then Brad needs to go to the dentist. Yes. Um, mm, yeah. Let's talk so. about that. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you after this. At Carvana, we're in the business of driving you happy. And with the widest selection of used cars under $20,000, you're bound to find a car that'll put a smile on your face. Carvana gives you control by letting you customize your down and monthly payments. You can browse tens of thousands of cars online to find one within your budget, and you won't get surprised with any bogus fees. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to shop for a vehicle. Carvana, we'll drive you happy. Availability may vary by market. Welcome back to the second part of the We've show. Just got time, Thank Alex. you. I, hang on, I need to do my bit. I need to do my bit. I, I need to hang record on. this and then fuck off to the dentist. <laughs> You've got seven minutes. You'll be fine. Well, a chippy fucking shot. Thank you to those of you who are in the different knock Speed members it up. club. You absolute join 
<laughs> Patreon.com <laughs> to not get access to exclusive, <laughs> the, the exclusive Discord server. Add to the version of the content, including many birds. You can. Just join it. Just join it and buy us coffees, please. Um, Patreon.com forward slash Shivnock. Sign up. Come on. We've just got time, Brad, I think. For a teeny bit of Arsenal trivia. So, lads, last time out, I said 10 players since the turn of the century have played for Arsenal uh, of German descent. Uh, name them. Since the turn of the century? Since the year 2000. 10 players, 10 German players okay. have played Should we for go Arsenal. One each, George? Yeah, one I'm each. Down. Yeah, yeah. Okay, go for it. Me? Okay, Mesut Ozil off the bat. Nice and easy. Serge Gnabry? Lucas Podolski. Jens Lehmann? Per Mertesacker. Uh, Thomas Eisfeld. Okay, that's a deep cut of the, of the academy. <laughs> Unfortunately, this pains me, Mr. Mustafi. German, do we have any more? Do you have a centre? I'm thinking positionally. There's uh, a really might, obvious might, one you've missed. There's a really obvious to break one out you've missed. Oh, Havertz. 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 No, 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 no. Havertz doesn't count because he wasn't. An, he hasn't played okay. for Arsenal yet. Um, <clears throat> who have we missed, George? I'm, I'm lost now. Um, um, I, I got. I was high off the inertia of my Thomas Eisfeld take. There's one that you <laughs> um, will get, and there's two that you won't. Okay. This is top quality audio content. You giving up, boys? Mm. Oh, no, no, no. Can you give us a clue? One of them left um, last season. I thought we said Burton Leno. No. Have we not? Okay, oh. Leno. Okay, yeah. Oh, Leno, okay. I totally okay. So you've got two okay. more, both who played for Arsenal in the early parts of the 2000s, and you will not get either of these names because I have no <laughs> fucking clue who they were. Okay. Should we... Julian Draxler doesn't count? <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> It is Stefan Maltz and Moritz Voltz. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Who made, You've like, made those up. No, they're, they're... They made like four appearances for Arsenal or something. I also said, You've bonus, made those both how, up. Many, how many appearances have they collectively made together? Take a guess. You know what? It's, Ooh, it's we've got quite over high. 1,000. Yeah, because we've got Podolsky per... Like, I'm going to go like 1,200. I'll do. I'll do George? an even thousand. One thousand and sixty-nine. Oh, <laughs> very good. I needed the joke. Sorry, so George, taking it there. Sorry, Brad. Your question... Those names sound like you know you're on FIFA and you get someone to go and, and scout in Germany and they come back with names Random, and they're like yeah. just the most <laughs> typically German names. Moritz Volz. <laughs> Horrendous. All right, your question for next week is. Uh, on what date did the Emirates Stadium officially open with a testimonial match for Dennis Burkamp featuring Arsenal okay. and Ajax? I know what year. The date's going to be interesting. All right, all right, darlings. I got to enjoy off. the dentist, Brad. Thank you, loves. Bye. Have fun. Enjoy the second half of the show. I'll give it a listen. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> You'll give it a listen. What a nice guy. Thank you. <laughs> well, George, it's just you and me. There we go. And then there were two. And then there were two. Everyone's like, fuck's sake. Everyone just turns off the pod. <laughs> the comic relief's gone. Um, we've got questions. We've got lots and lots of questions and lots mm. to discuss. So let's go through this. We've got a question from Gideon, who is at GriffGG07. Just says, hello, guys. Chewamani chat. So um, there's been a bit, a bit of chat about 
already in Chermany. Um Feels like FIFA career mode stuff, but we've been playing career mode so far this this summer. Um, obviously, an extremely talented young player. Thoughts on him? Go. Um, I love the player. Um, I just here. I'll I'll do the feasibility, then I'll talk about the player because the player is the fun part, right? Like feasibility. I don't I don't get it. Real Madrid are going to be losing their anchor. If anything, I have always said though, I don't see how Real Madrid keep the four superstars happy, but it's really been more in the right central midfield position because I feel Valverde and Camavinga represent a redundancy there um, that has struggled with the other two. You know, Chuameni has a very clear role. He anchors that midfield for, you know, Jude Bellingham they just bought. They're not going to get rid of. So between that, I feel like it's the latter two that could potentially leave or be kicked out. I don't know if it's this summer or the next, but I do think in 18 months, there's going to be a sacrificial lamb in that midfield. Um Look, on the player, I, I think he's a phenomenal anchor. I think that he's a true 6'8". He's somebody that carries a level of physicality that um, makes your uh, you know, your mouth water in a sense. And I, and I think that he's got a very exciting potential a little bit higher up the pitch, more than I think people see. I think they just look at him as a proper anchor. And for me, I feel as though he's actually a little bit loose technically that's got a brilliant brain going forward that I actually see could be molded into something that could carry a little bit more that could actually impact stuff a little bit more through the thirds instead of just being somebody that passes and, and recycles at the base of midfield. I think he's got a little bit more um, about him in, in, in a shuttler sense. Like I really see somebody that could um, move in channels. And, and, and you know, I, what I really like about him actually is, is I feel that he's got a super awareness of space, something that he and Declan Rice really share. And I think together, um, if you were to try to dream up a dream pivot, let's say, um, you're, you're getting the best of kind of both worlds. These are all analogs in the Thomas Partey-esque mold. When you start to talk about, you know, your, your Chuamenis, your Lavias, um, you know, your, your, your Caicedos, these are all similar 6-8s that are defensive 6-8s. And I think that's the one thing that I love about Arsenal right now, that the fourth signing could be a defensive 6-8. Because I feel that having recruited Kai Havertz and Martin Odegaard in general, that midfield requires a second balance. Declan Rice is not enough for me. And I don't like the theories of the Zinchenko as the next lateral shuttler. And between Zinchenko, Kai Havertz, and Odegaard, being able to hold the middle three is something that I struggle with um, internally. So I'm happy about it generally that links are pointing towards it. Um, great player. I just don't see why um, they would move on from any logic perspective. Like when I put on my coaching hat about how all the skills that I love, it's great. But then I have to try to see, is there a way that this makes sense from even Chuameni's side? Like I, I would, I would imagine that he's just got there. You know, why would he want to leave individually? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I tend to agree on the terms of feasibility side of things. It, it reeks to me of agent work to me that this this feels like an agent thing where i imagine he's, he's probably, yeah he's probably got a bit of status anxiety frankly you mm -hmm. know he's probably going well hang on I, I arrived as your big your big new toy last summer and you've now gone and signed you know but they're not exactly the same player but i i, I personally do see many a bit deeper i see i see the thomas Partey uh analogs um i think he's got a little bit um a bit of a different skill set for me i don't know him overly well but from what i've seen um and yeah, look, look, he's an amazing player, but I just think like, to me, this feels like not necessarily new contracts. He's just signed, signed a new one, but I imagine he's probably going, I want some assurances because, you know, I, you can't, 
you can't expect to sign Jude Bellingham and add him to a midfield of Fede Valverde, uh, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, and also apparently they're, they're signing Ceballos to a new contract, which is funny, mm-hmm. but also, you know, Ceballos is going to want minutes, right? And also all the players who presumably will, coming, will be coming through Madrid's academy as well, and they're, they're Madrid, they can constantly sign new players. So there must be a point where at least someone goes, hang on, what's the plan here? Like, how are we, how are we handling this? And I imagine Chiumeni is probably the guy. He, he makes sense as the most obvious person. You know, because from a from a Cruz and Modric's perspective, they're going, okay, you're doing the succession plan, right? Mm. Like, we've had the success here. They're not going to be thinking, oh God, they'll they'll be thinking, look, we're winding down our careers and that's fine. So Bios knows his squad role, Jude's just signed. So Chiumeni is naturally, and I think Valverde feels like the sort of darling of um, of Real Madrid and obviously is... Uh, is uh, can play in a number of different positions as well. So I think Chiumeni makes sense as the guy who's like, hang on a minute, what what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I think if Partey left, I could see it happening more from our perspective, um, just in terms of the fee, especially if you've got upfront money from Saudi. Uh, but I think this feels a bit fanciful. And speaking of fanciful French young signings, <laughs> you know what I'm going with this. We've been asked to talk about Kylian Mbappe. Now, I I don't I don't know how to approach this because I I can't see it happening. But there is still a part of me that goes basically what I would say George is this. I hear the word Mbappe and I go it's never going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. We're Arsenal. It's stupid. But let me just put forward the the possibility, the possible reasons why and then you can shoot me down. I think we've spoken about this before on the uh, the Canon podcast, not to not to mention other podcasts, but we'll do it if not. But um, we've spoken about this on, on other podcasts. If you're killing Mbappe, you're at a place where there's only certain clubs that can that are big enough to house you. Right? Yeah. You're looking at the Manchester United. This is Manchester United. You're looking at the Manchester United, you're looking at ignore the feasibility just for a second but you know just literally who could he go to Man City Real Madrid he could stay at PSG and Bayern maybe but I, I also financially I, I I don't I don't see that happening but then we're getting into feasibility but just ignoring feasibility ignoring feasibility in terms of the clubs that have the the level the the stature the status in the game to house a Kylian Mbappe either through recent you know, acquisitions of finance as a Newcastle or possibly Newcastle, but again, it's still establishing themselves. I think there's a handful of clubs. Then you start to look through it, and this is copium, of course it is. <laughs> then you start to look through it and you go, look, United, I, I can't see them financially able to make that outlay. I can't see them doing it. I, I, I don't see that happening. I don't see Mbappe going to that club when they're not challenging a Man City, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have... Bayern Munich, who, again, he's going to not necessarily a one-club league, but he's going to a a league that is not as competitive as the Premier League, similar with Real Madrid. And for his brand, which I think is a huge thing for Kylian Mbappe, I think for his brand, he probably thinks the Premier League is the destination I need to get to, right? That's that's my opinion. I think think he's thinking, even if I go via Real Madrid, which may happen as well, I need at some point to get to get to the the Premier League for my brand to reach its, its peak. Then you look at the Premier League and you go, okay, there's probably two or three teams. <laughs> and you're starting to go, well, hang on a minute. Why couldn't it be us? Because Man City have Haaland. They're not going to spend money on, 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 on an Mbappe. As I said, I don't think United could do it. I don't think Newcastle are at the place yet. And then you're starting to go, hang on a minute. We're the only girl left at the party at the end of the night. 
So I'm going, fees, there is, a, there is an opportunity there. Now, feasibility-wise, <clears throat> there's also the connection to Arsenal with Thierry Henry, et cetera, et cetera, the French connection, the Arsene Wenger thing. There's a narrative there, right? And I think Mbappe will want the move. Then I look at the, the money. And if Mbappe, for me, if I'm Mbappe, if I was smart, I would say, I understand the situation that you're, you're in. You can't afford to pay me those wages. You, you cannot do that. But I promise you, I will take a cut. Let's say he goes to even 450k a week. So he would be by far our highest earner. But this isn't... Uh, also, people say, oh, Arsenal will never do this. There is a precedent for this, by the way. I think in basketball or hockey or something, the the Cronkies are paying someone who is like a massive basketball player, something like $33 million a year. Jokic. Jokic, right. So so they're, they're willing to get stars in, right? And I'm not. I, I wouldn't never pretend to know anything about basketball, but I'm just saying, you know, from a from a commercial perspective, this is something the Cronkies. There's precedent for that to happen. So I'm talking myself into it. <laughs> um, talk me out of it, and and your thoughts on that, because I just I think the idea that this that people go, it's not it, it's not possible at all. I don't buy. Do I think it's going to happen? No. But I also think there is a number of possible reasons why it could. And say Mbappe took a wage cut. Say Mbappe had a conversation with Mikel Arteta where it was made very clear what the deal is. You are not bigger than the team. If he was willing to do that, if he was willing to come to the Premier League, willing to understand if, if his advisors changed essentially his tact with the way he's approaching his career, really, they're saying, look, Killian, you've got too big. You now need to, to take a step back and become, yes, the best player at the team. And be the star of the team, but also for your brand to get to the point where it needs to be, you need to prove yourself on that level. I think there's a pathway, but I just think there's too many there's too many dominoes to fall before that happens that I don't see falling. Yeah, so I I think that um, from, from my from my perspective, uh, I'm with you. Like we've talked about it, you know, before, right? And and I, I'm just going to come at it from the perspective of all the soft factors, why it makes sense, and then why I don't think it'll happen. Um, because um, for me, from an Arsenal perspective, who is the team that's got the biggest history of French integration? Facts, it's Arsenal. Um, who has got the team with one of his best friends from his childhood, who has his dad has coached him in William Sleba? Oh, good point. Bundy. Adding that to my copium list. Yep. Um, you know, in terms of the history of Thierry Henry, by the way, you don't think, uh, you know, Thierry is whispering in his ear. Um, come on. Um, you know, let, let's talk honestly here. Um, and, and then when you start to talk about, you know, um, what Kylian Mbappe needs, by the way, and what his ego needs, and that is to beat Erling Holland. Simply, wherever Holland is, Kylian Mbappe will go. And I think the biggest thing that the Premier League did, by the way, is having Pep able to draw Erling Holland to the Premier League. Uh, because what was destined for kind of these two Spanish giants has no longer happened. And, you know, as long as success is happening it's a shift. at Manchester, it's a, shift. it's a massive shift. And it's been a huge shift from the last, what, 15 years where the superstars have gone to La Liga. Um, I think that as long as Erling Haaland stays in the Premier League, Mbappe will come. That's simply what it is. And then you start to look at the commerciality of it. Um, from a financial perspective, I don't understand this whole thing that Arsenal are skint anymore. We've got to reevaluate. We've just spent 200 million pounds in the best part of two and a half weeks in the window. Um, no other team is doing it. If anything, and I hate doing this, we have been the Chelsea's of this window. If you're really going to be, um, you know, fair. Um, and, you know, Arsenal themselves, from a wage perspective, you know, 
they have been somebody that has been willing to pay the big wages. In fact, that's been a real big con from, you know, um, a financial aspect. You know, we, we have done the mistakes of the Mesodozils, the Aubameyangs and whatnot on big contracts. So I think from a wage perspective, Arsenal have never been shy giving uh, proper wages. So there is a way that, you know, of course, Stan Krona could make it work. You know, you look at somebody like an Mbappe, it's no longer just a rising of tides effect. You know, you look at the marketability, the amount of money it would bring in and the stage and platform it would go, it would go to. So I think Kylian Mbappe himself would demand kind of um, an experience um, in the Premier League. Now, do, do I think after I've talked about all these soft factors about how it could happen, do I think it will happen? No. And, and really, it's because of the one thing that I said, you know, uh, previously, and it's Mikel. And it actually has nothing to do with the financial feasibility of the deal. For me, I don't believe that somebody of Mikel's demeanor can accommodate an ego of Kylian Mbappe, who is a sporting director. That's not the way that we run our club. And there's only one person that's got that freedom, and that's Mikel. So I, I think one cannot survive with the other um, in that sense. Now, I'm happy to be wrong, but I just don't see him relinquishing that control um, that you would need for a Kylian Mbappe. And by the way, I think Arsene Wenger is the perfect archetypal coach for a Kylian Mbappe, by the way. He is somebody that, you know... Um, could A, command the gravitas that one of those players would respect, but at the same token, give them the freedom to, which is bad, but walk a little bit over them. Mikel is not taking that from anybody. And I think that the first sign of petulance would have him sit on the on the bench. Like, can you imagine him pulling an Aubameyang type thing for being late to a session or whatnot? And, you know, I, I just don't see the cultural impact after doing so many years working to change the culture that you're going to throw that away with that type of prima donna no matter how good he might be no matter how generational and great the talent is right now there are certain things above that and if anything by the way i think michael has been very clear footballing ability is secondary to your character that has been quite clear from the get-go um and if we had uh prioritized talent i think Aubameyang and ozil would still be here um you know, at the club. And so we've already made that line in the sand. I just don't see how we're going to throw that away. Um, and look, Mikel has made a, a point, by the way, like if you're scoring 30 goals, like, you know, there is going to be certain leeways. Like, I don't think he's, um, you know, immune to that. But I think Kylian Mbappe is a different kettle of fish, mate. Like, I, I think for him, he's got a different level of prima donna. It's not just I want my time off. I want to be late to sessions. I don't want to train. It is I want to tell you who to buy. And Mikel's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's yeah, the reason I don't no. see it. No, I, I, I think you're right. Unfortunately, I, I think, I think if I was advising Mbappe, I'd say, mate, like you're putting yourself into a corner. You're tying your own hand behind your. You're snookering yourself, yeah. whichever analogy you want. You want, like you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you're really scuppering your your own career because of the way you're handling yourself. Yeah. If you and it's not about like you don't have to not be the star of the team. You will be the star of the team. You're the, one of the best players in the world. You will be the star of whatever team you go to. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. But this idea that you want more and more control and more and more people to respect you and you want days off and you da, 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 like that will only harm your brand in the end if that's what you're worried about. And I re- I read a story about um Kylian Mbappe's mother who I can't remember what club it was, but it was a massive club. It was like Real Madrid or Chelsea. or so, so It was like a massive team that Mbappe went for a trial when he was about 14 or maybe 13, 14. And he went for a day 
and he trained whatever and they said we're not quite decided yet can you just give us a few a few days to decide essentially and apparently Mbappe's mum said no you either sign him now or he doesn't come back here because in 10 years time you'll be wanting to sign him for a 50 million pounds mm. now <clears throat> from she was right an anecdotal <laughs> perspective I mean she, well yeah listen she was correct so let's, let's be clear <laughs> But also what that is, is just for a second, imagine someone coming into your work or whatever with their 14 year old son and going, you will be signing him for 50 million pounds in 10 years time. We we won't take this kind of disrespect. However talented the player is, you would be like, you're a bit of a dick. Yeah. Like you would be like, okay, like I, I appreciate you, you think he's talented and I appreciate all that sort of stuff, but we're not going to be bent over a barrel by any one player. No, You could be the reincarnation of Lionel Messi. We're not going to, change the entire club for the one person mm. which basically Paris has done you know Emmanuel Macron was 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 calling Mbappe saying can you stay in front like Rishi Sunak calling Harry Kane yeah. so Justin Trudeau being like Alfonso mate please like can you stay and play for the Whitecaps or whatever it was like <laughs> it like you can't you can't put yourself in that position and then expect everyone else to just bend to your will. And clearly this is a cultural thing and a familial thing from that from that anecdote. As much as she was right, in fact, you know, 250 million, as much as she was right, that for me, that story doesn't say, oh, wow, you know, against all odds. No, this guy was clearly destined for the top. Now it's about, as an advisor around him, one of his mates, if I was if I was Kylian Mbappe's friend or his agent, I'd be going... It's about legacy, mate, like, isn't it, mate? Like, I mean, I think at this yeah. point, like, you are the best player in the world. Do you want to be the best player to have ever lived? That's that's the level that we're talking, right? Like you've yeah. already achieved that status as of what nineteen twenty. People were peddling him as one of the best the players World in the world. Yeah, yeah. Like you completed, <laughs> he completed football already. So it's not a debate about what his status is in the current present time. His debate right now is his legacy. Is by the way, am I better than my mentor Thierry Henry? A- am I better? Can I reach that level? That level of adulation. That level of legacy. And. Um, look, and I, don't, me, I don't think you get there sorry to cut you off but without a level of sacrifice you have to sacrifice something to be seen in that way to to have the legacy that you clearly want even just for your own ego you have to go hang on a minute I have to work with other people here I can't just bulldoze my way through things and, and look Thierry did it himself right mate like it, when you look at his earlier career even when he when he exploded right like Thierry's assist numbers are just as high as his scoring numbers and you know he sacrificed a lot for the team and you know for as good as Thierry was there was a lot of sacrificial runs that he used to do you know if you really look back at some old tape you know that that boy understood the game and you know um I I just think that there is a level of um expectation that Killian has um and by the way I think he needs a Mikel if I'm gonna put my hands up Mm -hmm. like he needs a disciplinary type coach it's just that type of player will never respect a Mikel unless he's Pep and unless he wins the treble and unless he does those things. And for me, I'll, I'll be honest, I've got a line, right or wrong, I will never suggest Arsenal sign a superstar of that level, no matter how talented they are. I will never do it because for me, I am somebody that values the collective over the individual. And For as much me goals as that one player can get me, I know that the disharmony that that creates generally and around the squad and what the reliance, the over-reliance on one way of playing is something that I just hate as a coach. Like I value the flexibility that we carry currently and I value the culture that we do because I know that Kylian Mbappe doesn't just affect this current crop. It affects the Nuneris and the Miles Lewis Skellies, by the way, down the road. Like 
Can you imagine you've got you, you've got them, these equally talented youth that look up and see this superstar controlling the club? You don't think Eamon Kari, you know, Wayne, Wayne Emery are going to demand, listen, I want to be starting. Look at what you're giving to Mbappe. I'm asking for just this little bit of the pie. And, you know, it's just it's those ramifications that I'm not a fan of. You change the fabric of your club, let's put it that way, and you become a victim uh, to your employee, not the employer, which is crazy to me from a business perspective. Mm. Yeah, and I've, I've likened it before to like making a massive purchase, whether it's, you know, I think I said Rolls Royce, didn't I? Like, it's like, it's like you know, getting drunk, mm. buying a Rolls Royce and driving around your town. And it's like, yeah, that was fun and illegal. Yeah, yeah. And then you wake up in the morning and you've spent loads and loads of money and you've got a Rolls Royce in your in your driveway. You can't afford it, <laughs> and everyone else on the road and everyone else on the road's going. You got a Rolls Royce. Well, hang on a minute. You can pay me back for this. You can pay me back for that. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it, it's look. It, it obviously it would be it would be insane, and it would be so much fun. But, but you but have to be sensible. It, but let's have it right. This idea that it's impossible is stupid. Like I, I do. I look. I, I have my reservations from a cultural and Mikel standpoint. But let's have it right. Mbappe is looking at Arsenal as a very serious option. Let's have that right. And I don't want to escape that fact because just logically, um, when, you, when you have a look around at the teams that can afford Kylian Mbappe and give him the platform, and you're looking at the Premier League, by the way, he's not going to the City. He's going to look at the next closest challenger to that, by the way. And he's not going to look at a Manchester United, in my opinion, because they're too young in their project. They are too young. They're not ready to compete right now. Killian wants to compete now. And so he's going to be looking at teams that are ready to compete now. And by the way, he's not going to settle for building. Like, you know, with that ego won't settle for, oh, I will wait for the project to get to a point where I'm good and I can be good for you. No, no, no. He's coming in right now to win now and to expect to do so. And so I'm just saying Arsenal are going to be very high on his list. Now, Will it be high on Mikel's list? That's another question. That's the one thing that I need to bridge mentally. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Mikel says, screw it. We're, we're at a point that we're successful with trophies and we can afford to give in to the devil a little bit. And, and maybe I can feel that I can coach him. Maybe I feel I can control him. Maybe Mikel's ego is bigger than Killian's and he can be like, listen, I can control this <laughs> whirlwind. But yeah, I, 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 do. I mean, if there's a Premier League manager that could do it, I wonder if it is Mikel. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, I looked him in the eyes and they were guys. <laughs> I looked him and he said, fucking, fucking Killian, you're going to fucking win the fucking league for me. You're going to win the league. Uh, let's do three more topics. The first one is a, is a key one. And it's a question from at Spanish Alex 85. It says, would you guys care to discuss the absolutely massive elephant in the room? And that is what is up? with George VFC's slender shoulders. Well, um, you know, it's a problem that what a lot of What is this joke? I don't understand it. Have I missed something? I think it's uh, the Instagram post, and it's a, it's a play on the fact that, you know, I am... Um, You're huge. I, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm... Huge I mean, I, I do lift the occasional weight, and I think that it's just gentle, low-level hanging banter fruit. On, on my slender ass shoulders. <laughs> low, leveling, <laughs> low level hanging banter fruit. We've also got a text from Brad saying, perfect teeth, boys, no work needed. So that's good. Oh, that's excellent. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice that he, you know, slacks off the pod for that. <laughs> right. Um, 
Two two last little bits then. Uh, one I want to come to. One is a bit more silly. One is a little bit more serious. Um, our right side of our defence. Interested in your thoughts on that. So who are we looking at then? We're looking at t- well, let's let's take nominally the centre back and the right back. If that's you know if, if we want to go there, people who can play in that zone of the pitch. Let's put it more like that. Saliba, Tomiyasu, White, Timber. I'm even looking at. Um, I'm even looking at, what's his name? What's his face? Uh, Brooke Norton Cuffey. I'm even looking at Rule Walters. How do you see that group playing out? For example, do you think will, my personal opinion, if I miss someone, I feel like I've missed someone, haven't I? Well, I mean, you've got Rob Holding and Cedric, but I'm glad you didn't oh, mention yes. those two. I'm very glad <laughs> that you did. So we're not, we're not. Rob and Cedric, did you see the, um, the training photos yesterday oh, and everyone was kicking off because they were still in training. Well, what are you going to do? You can't stop them coming to training. <laughs> um, Cedric with his little hands up, little thumbs up. Um, yeah, how do you how do you see that playing out? Because we've got Timber in. I think Timber will... La- I can't see Timber playing... If, for example, we do end up in, let's say, a 2-3 next season in shape, which we did see at times at the beginning of last season... I can't see Timber being the right side, the Saliba role of that. I can't. I. I personally don't. I don't. I'd be interested in your opinion. I can't see the way he defends space in the same way as Saliba. I don't think he's as talented one in in central areas one v one as Saliba, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I can't see that happening in certain terms of just also just the size and the aerial presence as well worries me. I can see him in the three, the sort of either side of a Rice or either either side of a party if it ends up being there. Saliba, I think, will largely stay. I don't think we're going to see him on the exterior of the team. I think he'll be our mainstay at sort of centre-back, either in a two or in the centre of a three, or I can't see him on the right side of a three. What I guess what I'm getting at is it, I think you go Wait through... Yeah, but but more, more the idea that I think you go through, and I think now we've got sort of four options who all give you different things. So I guess what I'm asking is, do you think we'll see a a typical pairing in the same way that say Saliba and White was last time. Do you think we'll see White coming into centre-back? Do you think we'll see Tommy Yasu at right-back? Or do you think his, his days there are over and he's going to be more of a left-back-sided guy? Because I think Timber coming in raises some questions on that side. And also, do you see any youth prospects coming through? I think that Timber um, pushes somebody out fundamentally um, to that side. Um, and I think it's Tommy. I don't think he's ever been a final third player for me. Even when I when you look at his ability to kind of play in that half space, by the way, like you don't have to be a, a lane five outswinging crosser. You don't have to be a lane five invader like Ben White that you know overlaps in space. You don't have to do that to be effective. You can be the Trent, the Timo, uh, uh, Tino Livermento type, the the one that could underlap on the ins. Like you can be that type. Tommy isn't, and he will never be that type. So. For me, from that perspective, I think Timber, who has, by the way, shown his ability in those half spaces to deliver some really excellent between-the-line passes, um, very punchy player, I, I think that you basically kick Tommy out. And for me, I would prefer that to be the center-back rotation, by the way. I don't like these suggestions of a left-back while he carries a versatility to be that in a one-off game, being one of our best 1v1 defenders. Like, he can play anywhere in the back line, sure. But... When you, when you talk to me about versatility, I imagine 10, 15 games of him there. And that's the question I have in my mind. Like when you talk about backups, right? That's the question I always say. Like, are you confident in Tommy being a left back for 10 to 15 games of next season? And if you are, 
then fair enough. For me, I have some issues with it. And so I, I don't like, while I appreciate the one-off capability there, I don't necessarily put him in the left-back squad depth in my charts. Um, I would put him in the center-back rotation, though. And by the way, I would have that left center-back or right center-back. Like, he has played for Japan primarily as a left center-back. Like, I think he's phenomenal in that position, actually. And I think that, for me, he carries the aerial presence. By the way, that, you know, a Timber doesn't in the back line. A Ben White does the same thing, a little bit less. But, you know, I think Tommy carries that dual dominance. Like, when I look at William Saliba, one of the biggest things that we kind of lost with that is not just the ambipedal nature, which, by the way, Tommy carries in terms of receiving both feet, you know, helping us to progress play, um, the long switches, that capability, which is something that we haven't quite seen from Saliba. Tommy displays quite a bit at center back for Japan. I think there's more center backy traits for Tommy Asu, and I think that Timber represents more full backy traits, let's say, um, between the two. And so um that's where I think the big switch is. I think Ben White will be a mainstay. I really, um, it does uh, not annoy me. That's the wrong word. But I think that there's a lot of over-enthusiasm that new signings must start. And I'm seeing a lot of 11s where Ben White's not in the 11. And I'm very surprised. Ben White was one of our best players last season. And by the way, our most adaptable player. And, um, you know, he is the and one. for me, sorry to cut you off, the only the only time is his, his performances dropped because he was knackered. Yes. Like, that's when I felt his performances dropped. Yeah. So. And he and he's the one that makes the change in formations work, mate. Like the idea of a two three versus a three two versus even a six channel attack. Ben White was the player that made all of those possible. It wasn't Saliba, if, for as much as I love the boy, you know, it wasn't Saliba. The versatile piece that allowed us to do that was Ben White. So, look, I think that we're gonna maybe have you know a timber that's gonna be broken in. I don't think it's gonna be a starter right off the bat. I think that we'll be seeing him in different roles and he'll, this will come off weird, but um, bear with me. He'll have a very 2019 Saka-esque role where he's going to play different roles and he's going to be learning the system quite a bit. He's going to offer versatility and I don't think that he's going to have a set position, um, you know, in the squad. We're not going to see him right back. We're not going to see him center back. We're not going to see him DM. We're going to see him in a plethora of those things. We're going to see him come on as a finisher quite a bit. Um, we're going to see him sometimes start games um, in unorthodox positions. We're going to see him potentially trying to learn a little bit more. That's what I think. And I think he gives you that flexibility too, by the way, to kind of maintain these fundamentals. So you you obviously have the Wolf system that comes to play. Uh, of course, from a right back sense, if there is a game for it, I think we can make sure that Ben gets his rest and our best players can consistently start more minutes. Um, that's going to be a big thing that they offer. Um, I do feel that, you know, Tommy moving to center back is at least something in my mind that I see a lot more of than I do Timber um, because I do fear for that aerial ability. I don't like it. Um, now, I will say, I think his dueling capacity in the center of the pitch is actually quite excellent. Um, when I make the comparisons to Ake previously, which, you know, um, He's very strong in the duel, but there are still moments in isolation kind of out wide that I wonder whether or not he is kind of that right back, especially more so in possession. I think dueling wise, it's great. He will rob you the ball. No problem. He's got the Ake there. He doesn't see the pitch in the same way when he's touchline. Um, and so he's obviously got a lot more angles and stuff centrally. I, I just feel um, he struggles a bit in that. And for me, Ben doesn't like Ben is comfortable 
no matter the angle, he will find the man. And so that's the one part of right back that I still have questions, like whether or not he can develop a little bit more down the line. But I just think that we've recruited a versatile player, but a player that also isn't quite ready in each role that you put him in. There's something that he's got to work on. So whether it's center back, whether it's right back, whether it's in DM, there are aspects to his play that he's got to work on. And he's just a true positionless player. I just don't think that he's going to... I think he's going to be somebody that fills in roles, let's say, and is learning the system yeah. right now. I see that. I see that. I think I think that's probably accurate. And I think, you know, I'm I'm always torn between the idea of like I never want to <clears throat> I kind of have a, a rallying cry against first 11s. Mhm. For various reasons because I think things will change. I think once you have your 16, 17, you can you can adapt, so I think you you should when it feels appropriate. I think, you know, obviously you get injuries and suspensions as well. So that that will happen. So I'm always against the idea of building a perfect first 11. That said, you do need stability. So it's it's a diff, it's a difficult thing to 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 judge. I wonder whether we'll see sort of mainstays in the team. And I think those mainstays in basically all but the most useless Carabao Cup games pretty much will probably be to a greater or lesser extent Ramsdale, Rice, <clears throat> Saliba, Saka, and probably Erdegaard. I would say those are those for me are are, are our guys. Where and Gabriel. I would say there was. Or well, do you for not me think, personally, do you I do not think he's. A I, I want. I wonder. I wonder. I'm. I. I would say if Saliba started ninety percent of our games, I think. I think Gabriel would start eighty-five. I'm not saying that Gabriel would be, um, you know, at seventy or sixty, but I just think there might be a few games where we feel with our shape, if we're doing something on the right-hand side, maybe we want something a little bit more dynamic on the left-hand side, especially if we keep Kieran Tierney. And maybe you have a Tomiyasu, Saliba and Tierney and White kind of, kind of, um, and Tomiyasu comes in as your third centre-back on the left-hand side. I don't, I don't know as, as an option. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I suppose the only thing we can do really is look at every single game and go, what's, what's best for this game? Now, there's no game where the question where that question is what's best for this game and the answer isn't Bakayo Saka because he's one of the best players in the world. So you know we can go too far with that, and that's why I think you know Saliba and, and Saka and those types of players will play, and I think we'll see again just a bit of variation with in terms of setup, in terms of was it a three two or a three two, and a bit of variation in terms of personnel. I just think the fact that he now has those sixteen seventeen players, I think we will see more adaptation. So then. I think that follows with your timber take. I think we will see various things, various times through the season where he comes in and does a certain job. I think it follows that White will play most games, but to be a mainstay, I think there'll be a game or two here and there in the same way that, you know, Xhaka came out for that Bournemouth game at home. You know, I think there might be a game here or there where White doesn't play um, just because we feel that it's it's a day for Tomiyasu because it's a 1v1 battle or we feel it's a day for for, for Timber because we want to have a little bit something else in the, in the middle. So I, I don't know. But I think what's exciting overall is that we do have that 16-17 and we've got Rob Holding and Cedric, which is, you know, really, really what, what this is all about. Um, final question. Final question for you, George, my friend. Um, oh, you've frozen for me. Oh, have I? Frozen for you. Maybe, maybe I'm. Just... Oh yeah, no, no, you're you're fine. You're fine. You're back. Um, final question. This is from AFC Amir, I believe, and I've actually lost the question. So this is uh, this is going very well. Give me one second. This is why you pay the big bucks, guys. 
This is this is this is why you pay. You go to patreon.com for Shastafiok and you sign up for me trying to find questions. Here we go. AFC Amir. Bit of a different one. When you guys play football yourselves, which current Arsenal player would you say you play or profile like? I like that question. You go first, George. Um. Mm, which current Arsenal? I mean, with those player? shoulders, mate. <laughs> um, you know what? I surely would... a strapping young centre back. <laughs> yeah, no, you know. Oh, I play. I played left back, but you know, I had a little bit more of a dominant. Um, I was naturally right-footed, but I broke my right foot, so I became very good with my left as well. So I have a little bit of a and bipedal. So I'd probably say a little bit more Tommy Asu, but I'm not um, tall. <laughs> <laughs> or a pro footballer. Yeah, yeah. yeah or a pro footballer. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like in I the duels, say... like I'm, I'm solid in the duels and I'm great like building up. I'm excellent at my first oh, touch. I love you, mate. Um, you know, he, Mikel would love you. He, he would love the flexibility, but um, also the attacking third <laughs> is a little bit left wanting. Like, let's let's not lie. Like, yeah. I'm a defensive yeah. stalwart for sure. <laughs> I get you. I used to describe myself as an even lazier Meza Özil, <laughs> e- an even more languid Meza Özil. I remember I, when I was playing like Sunday League football. Sometimes I would play a pass that I wasn't even. I meant to do the pass, but I didn't have a. I didn't have necessarily like. I didn't the think, picture. oh, I'll play that pass. Yeah. I didn't have the picture. I just did it, and it ended up being like the best pass of the day. <laughs> and I remember doing it like a few times. I was like, am I just like a wizard? I remember just like <laughs> flicking the ball and being like, I think someone's there, and it ended up being an unbelievable little pass. So, but I, my defensive contribution is nada. You should see me at five side. I absolutely <laughs> refuse. Um, so probably Erdegaard then, so that, but at, at Erdegaard, m- maybe like the polar opposite of Erdegaard's work rate because yeah. he actually leads the press. And, and together we make a great pair. Uh, I will pick oh, up the mate. dirty the dirty bit that you don't need, you know, and then you, you, you do go my dirty pen, work, you know. I've got a finish on me. I'll say that. I've got a finish on me. I will be the... I'm uh... heavily right-footed. <laughs> heavily. <laughs> yeah. Oh, are you? <laughs> my, my left is for standing on. You, you really are That's Odegaard then. <laughs> I really am, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, we'll leave it there. Uh, we're going for an hour and a half, Jesus. But good pod. Time flies good pod. when you're having fun um, all that. Hey, and I'll see you in what? A couple of hours when we're recording another one? <laughs> Hopefully my Wi-Fi might work by that point, but we can't, we can't guarantee anything. Uh, George, pleasure as always. George will be recording some bonus content for the patrons this week, uh, both as a podcast and for the videos. So look out for that. Sexy boy talking about Ethan Ranieri and uh, and uh, his favorite favorite son Miles Lewis Kelly. But until then, thanks as always for listening. Keep it different, knock, and we will see you later. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. To get bonus podcasts and much more, you can sign up to be a TDK member at patreon.com forward slash divnock for just three pounds a month. Check us out on YouTube and follow us on all social media at Diffnock. Thanks again for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.